You guys, Jillian and I have come up with a plan. Should she die before me? Mm-hmm. And she's got to come back to say hi. That's what's coming up next week on our Unsolved Mysteries coverage. Yes. But just- we haven't decided how you're going to visit me. I feel like I'll just hear you coming. Just- I'll hear that. Just echo, just layered over. Instead of like, it'll be like, We're both here today. Let's live life yeah. the best way we possibly can. Sure. While we're here. Wow, that was a pep talk out of nowhere. I wasn't really expecting that. You know. Everything okay over there? I'm fine. <laughs> you know, I'm doing, again, angry woman, just doing my goddamn best. I'm trying real hard today. Yeah, sure. <laughs> You guys, before we get to the episode, just a reminder, if you want more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon. At the $5 level, you guys, you get over 150 full bonus ad-free episodes to download and binge right the second. Stuff you've never heard before. Stuff you've never heard. We're doing things, you know, like, I don't know, The Vow, all 200 episodes of that. Making a Murderer, The Jinx, Don't F with Cats. Yeah, we're in the middle of the Martha Moxley murder right now, too. If you guys don't know about that case, it's bananas. Yeah, Kennedy's, right? I know, totally Kennedy's. All day. It's just rich people being terrible to each other. Um, <laughs> Tiger King, all those long form series. Yeah, Lacey Peterson, the Menendez murders. You guys, we also have merch. It's tis the season to be giving. Every dime you spend on merch goes to charities. We're doing charities for Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ organizations, the Humane Society. Oh, and women's rights. Yeah, and women's rights. Just throw that one in there. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we are giving to charity always, not just because tis the season. We've been doing that since like May, I want to say. It's true. It's my favorite thing that we do. I know. I love it too. Anything else, girl, before we dive in? No, I'm mad. I'm really upset about what we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this one's tough. I don't really have a lot of time to waste (laughs) on small talk. I'm upset. Girl, we have a new sponsor this week. It's called Theragun. It's like a fancy massage thing that like really helps my muscles. I'm obsessed with it. But just to be like really scientific, it's a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now it's as quiet as an electronic toothbrush. I didn't even know this was coming. It came to our house and I ripped it open and I use it every single day. Yeah, because we get a little stressed out. Talking about some uh, hard topics here. We're in front of computers and screens all the time. So instead of being like, oh, super hot husband, Mike, Steve, can you rub my shoulders? I have the Theragun now, girl. I also use it for my feet. I walk a mile to and from work every day now. My feet are killing me. It is really changing my life, you guys. It sounds like it should be really loud, right? All the things you just listed. (laughs) Not the case. This all new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that is so quiet. At first I was like, is this thing on? I know, it's true. I feel better. It's Soothing my aching muscles, if I may be dramatic about it. (laughs) The thing that I love, it's Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness all in one. And again, it is working. You just can't hear it. And that's a good thing. You can try Theragun for 30 days. There is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need. And it starts at only $199. So go to Theragun.com slash TCO right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's Theragun.com slash TCO. Theragun.com slash TCO. And if you don't need it, you know somebody who does. I do an impression of the noise, but I can't. All right, girl, what are we talking about today? This one's crazy. This one's crazy. Yeah, the Unsolved Mysteries episode from season two. It's called Death Row Fugitive, but we don't know the numbers. To me, it's Unsolved Mysteries episode nine. I know. <laughs> but it's season two, ep 
three or four. Or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, there was a whole podcast on this case. So I knew about this. I knew this story. Yeah, and again, like we say every single episode, but it's like the unsolved, they just like throw to the song and the opening credits like so well because it's like the last thing I want is for Lester Eubanks to die a free man. And I'm like, oh shit. quick cold open before they were like oh, let, oh we're getting down to it great let me stretch a little bit let me get comfortable i'm gonna be mad when it opens all we know is that there was a guy who went from death row to a shopping mall and he's still out there somewhere that's the whole story thanks for coming good night we'll see you next week i mean the anger okay i know let's just know. let's just go to mansfield ohio shall we we are in a car with just like a fabulous older woman her name is myrtle carter and she's in the backseat. She's driving us around this town of Mansfield. She's sort of telling us about the town and her family. And she says, I've been here since I was three. Like any small town, just everybody knew everybody. Mansfield was a very safe place. I never remember feeling scared or afraid or of something happening to me. It was a little town where everyone knew everyone. It was super safe. Not a place where she ever felt afraid of anything. Yeah, so we're here because Lester Eubanks, this asshole from the cold open, murdered her sister, Mary Ellen. So we learn that on November 14th, 1965, Mary Ellen is 14 years old. And Mary Ellen, along with her 12-year-old sister, Brenda, they had like chores to do. So they were doing the laundry. There was seven of us. We all had things that we had to do in the home. That's how she came about doing the laundry that night. There were seven kids. Seven kids in that family. Yeah, and they all did chores. That's how I would be as a mother. You'd be very Miss Hannigan about it. So Mary Ellen and Brenda, Mary Ellen is 13, Brenda is 12, they're sisters. And they were washing the clothes that night. And because everything is garbage, the dryer was broken and the clothes are wet. So they have to like take the clothes to a laundromat to dry them. And they had to take a taxi to get there. It wasn't like it was that far away, but like obviously they're carrying sopping wet clothes. And it was probably safer to just get in a car and go to the laundromat. Totally. And the mom feels okay letting them go at night because they're great grandmother lived right next door to the laundromat. So they were kind of just like going to grandma's house and also doing some laundry. This is also a thing that I think would never happen in 2020. You know, like a 13 and a 12 year old getting in a cab at eight o'clock at night or whatever to like go do the laundry. Never. That would never happen now. But like, this is what the world was like back then. And so they needed more change for the machines. So the two sisters are there and they need more change. And so Mary Ellen goes to another laundromat to get the quarters or whatever. And it's just a couple minutes away. She's just walking a couple blocks down. And her sister Brenda stays behind. And so when Mary Ellen does come back, Brenda's like, shit, thank God grandma lives across the street. She goes over to the grandmother's house. The grandmother is like, you stay inside. I'm going to go figure out what happened. On her way down there, she saw the police. And she eventually saw that it was Mary Ellen there and what had happened to her. Literally, as the grandmother is walking down the street, she, like, happens upon the police, and she sees the dead body of Mary Ellen, her granddaughter, like, right there on the sidewalk. And, like, we see evidence photos, which I just, I don't ever need to see those again. Oh, girl, I am over it. I I don't even want the warning anymore. You know why? I I don't even want to see him. Don't even give me a warning. Don't even show me. You know what? We're all here. I believe you that something terrible happened to this little girl. We don't need to see the photos of it. So, we meet John, and he's a retired captain from the Mansfield Police Department. And he tells us that the police were able to determine what caliber of gun she was shot with. So they started going to all the gun stores 
and hardware stores that sold guns in Mansfield. They ended up at the Diamond Hardware up on South Diamond Street, and they asked to see the books. They see a weapon that fit the description of the gun that was used to shoot Mary Ellen. I was kind of shocked by this because almost immediately the gun was identified. And I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, great. Yeah. So Mary Ellen had been shot and they were able to determine the caliber of the bullet. And like, according to these cops telling the story, we should mention Mary Ellen is black. Her family is black. Yes. The shooter, the murderer is also black. And all of these cops are white. So there you have it. And it was the 60s. Right. Exactly. But according to the cops today, the cops like sprung into action. They went to every gun store in town, tracking down like the different caliber and the different serial numbers and they're able to like identify which gun was used to do this murder. They see who bought it and they go and find that guy. His name is Lester Eubanks. Right. So now the hunt is on. Here we go. Yeah. We're all looking for Lester Eubanks. You guys, I know it sounds like we're going quickly through this because this is not the story. We're not at the story yet. No, no, no. It's a short episode to begin with. It's only like 38 minutes long and like they zip through these details but that's because like as tragic and awful as this is, like I shouldn't say this isn't the story. This is the most important of course. part of the story. Of course. But the reason Unsolved Mysteries is involved is coming up in a minute. Right. It's also, again, not an Unsolved Mystery. I know exactly what happened, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Someone wore her saucy pants today. I'm just saying we know exactly what happened. It has to do with Christmas, which, again, I really resent. <laughs> You are the person in my life who loves Christmas the most. And I love Christmas too, but I love that you love Christmas. I thought you did. Your wedding song is All I Want for Christmas is You. That's true. <laughs> I got married in December and that is not my wedding song. So we're looking for this Lester Eubanks guy, right? Yeah. And the hunt is on and all the cops, they have like a shit ton of informants to talk to. Uh, that's the other thing that we don't really get into, like informant city over here. And I'm like, wait, what? Okay, fine. All right, whatever. If it, if it, if it moves the story forward, great. And so one of the informants is like, Some informant said he saw Lester Eubanks in that area earlier in the night before the crime occurred. Yeah, so it puts him there and we know he has the gun. And Sister Myrtle, the woman from the beginning of the episode, is telling us about this guy. Like, he was just a guy that walked down the street and I never knew who he was. But I just always thought he was weird and appeared to be a loner. And I can just see this. I like knew guys like this when I was growing up. He's one of those dicks that was like just walk down the street with nunchucks. Did you say with an M? Isn't it nunchucks? Is it? I literally wrote it as N-U-M-B. How do you say it? It's nunchucks, <laughs> right? Well, listen, Myrtle and I both don't know because she calls them karate sticks. Which is actually the most accurate way to describe them. Totally. Is this another Hamburg moment? Oh, God. Are we back to... <laughs> now I'm going to get shit in the Facebook group. You guys, is it nunchucks or nunchucks? Always had these nunchucks. And Myrtle's like, yeah, he was just like the guy. And that is so annoying, right? Just looking for attention. Like, I know. It's like machismo, stupid nonsense. And she's like, look, I was a kid. I didn't know the guy, but like everyone kind of saw him around the neighborhood. Like, there he goes yeah, with his fucking karate trying sticks. to be cool again. His karate sticks. Absolutely. So, yeah. Like, uh. But then we get this David guy. He's a U.S. Marshal, which. Excuse you. I just wrote a handsome David U.S. Marshal. Yes, he's a U.S. Marshal, but he's also handsome. Wow. But speaking of, David U.S. Marshal tells us. Bless you. Eubanks grew up in Mansfield. 
He's a sharp-looking man. He was a sharp-looking man? I said, girl, no, he's not. I know he's not. I will be the judge of that. And apparently Jillian will be too. <laughs> it depends. Like, today I am. But sometimes I don't care. Today I'm, I'm feeling it. I don't know. <laughs> so David's like, yeah, so Lester was like a sharp-dressed man. He was well-liked. He can fit in anywhere. Oh, also, he's a sexual predator. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, bury the lead on that one, Dave. I know. We're going to open with he's handsome and we're going to say sexual predator last? But I think what they're trying to say is that like, look, this guy has quite a rap sheet and we learn later that he sort of like talks his way in and out of a lot of situations. So I think they're just setting that up. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, like he really does do that. So he'd been arrested twice in the past for sexual offenses. And then this is like one of the cops has the nerve to say to us like- He had been arrested two times in the past for sex offenses. And at the time of the homicide, he was out on bond for rape attempt. At the time of the attack, he was out on bond for a rape attempt. This guy never should have been out. And it's like, this guy gets more lucky breaks. Like, this is the prime example of good things happening to bad people. This guy gets break after break after break. And it's like, I never again want to hear he shouldn't have been out. Let's speed up the process of figuring out these fucking clerical errors that are putting these monsters on the street. Well, was it a clerical error that started it? But we'll get there in a minute. But it's <laughs> Captain John, and he's just like, he takes a deep breath and he's like... <sighs> This, this guy shouldn't have even been out. Look, he never should have been out, okay? Like, he doesn't want to have to say that ever again. Like, the way he's like, yes. I'm going to say something here, and this is the last time I'm saying it. And all of the cops on this case have, like, inherited this case. Exactly. Like, they weren't the ones that were on the scene. <laughs> and you can tell they're the ones that are looking at their predecessors being like, Joe, what? You know what I mean? Like, they cannot believe. Bobby, could you have taken, like, a half a lunch break that day? Right, like, totally. and just done your fucking job? Exactly. Because they are all like me when you get mad at something, and I'm like, I didn't do it. Right. That's <laughs> all of these guys who we're with today. They're like, I'm as bad as you are. Totally. And these guys who inherited the case really care. Like, they really, really want to fucking find this guy. Right. The, the thing that's uh, so frustrating about this is that at first, it all moves really quickly in the right direction. Yes. Because, like, by Sunday morning, the dude's in custody. They pick him up. They bring him to the police station. He immediately confesses. He's so fucking garbage that he gives this, like, really, really, really detailed confession. So much so that the cops are like, I'm not saying this out loud. Fuck this. I'm not even going to read this. I mean, handsome David U.S. Marshall is like spitting with anger yeah. reading the report. Yeah, yeah. David does a thing that I fucking can't stand, though, where he's like describing the night of the incident. And he said, That night, Lester Eubanks was just hanging in the area and he sees an opportunity. He sees this beautiful little girl walk past him. He sees a beautiful little girl walk past him. And I said, oop, handsome David U.S. Marshall has broken my cardinal rule. We do not fucking sexualize victims. Stop calling women that get attacked and raped and murdered pretty. Stop doing that. I agree. I 100% agree. I think there's also a chance that he was describing what Lester Eubanks was saying. Yeah, that's probably true. And like, it gets to the point where like, we learn what really happened. And like, handsome David U.S. Marshall is telling us. He grabs her, pulls her, behind the house. She starts to scream. You guys, I'm sorry. Trigger warning. He shoots her twice. The screaming stops. He leaves her at the scene. Like, some people are so fucking sick in the head. I really can't believe they exist. He goes home to his apartment where he gets dressed to go out dancing for the night. Mm -hmm. He leaves his apartment to go do the going out and he wanders by the scene again. Sees that this little girl is still alive. She's described as writhing in agony on the ground. He picks up a brick and he kills her. Right. 
And it's it's so fucking horrible. Yeah. And my question is like, again, the only person responsible here is the guy who did it. Where are the fucking neighbors? You heard two gunshots and you didn't come and check it out. Mm-hmm. You didn't call the fucking cops. Like, everyone pay attention. Everyone, like, notice your surroundings and care about shit. That's all I ask. I know. Merry Christmas. <laughs> This just makes me utterly insane. This whole episode makes me crazy. And like, again, I listened to a whole podcast about this, so I've been mad about this for a long time. And I'm sorry that I'm taking it out on Unsolved Mysteries. Um, I'm okay with it. (laughs) I feel fine. I mean, I feel horrible, but that means like fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is when like, you know, handsome David U.S. Marshall is like reading the report and he gets to this part about the actual murder and he throws the, he's like, I'm not going to read this. Yeah. He's like, he's a monster. He's disgusting. Absolutely not. Like, we're not even going to do this. Yeah. So the thing is like, again, it all starts out pretty great. Yeah. In the sense that for justice being served, because they find him immediately, they arrest him. He confesses. They have everything they need. And we're at the courthouse. And like, you know, we hear from Sister Myrtle and she's like, I went to the trial daily because I wanted him to know that she had a lot of people that cared about her and loved her and what he had taken from you know the world she's like I made it my fucking business to show up to that trial every single day because she wanted to make sure that Lester knew that everyone knew that Mary Ellen was a person people cared about her like she was not gonna let this story fall by the wayside and so as Sister Myrtle is telling us this we just get random cops who are just like he testified he wanted to get up and I think that's really the trait of a narcissist He didn't seem to show any remorse at all. Did I mention he's a monster? Because this (laughs) bitch loved confessing. There's like a darkness, like an emptiness inside this guy. It's just, he's disgusting. Girl, Amazon's Alexa is back. Everyone knows Alexa for the podcast and the music. Did you know you could also use Alexa for lighting, girl? Like the holiday season? Like Merry Merry? We're talking about the Singlet Bulb Pack, you guys. It's super easy to set up. You install your new smart bulbs through the Singlet app and connect to an Echo device or the Alexa app on your phone. And it like revolutionizes the lighting in your house. I swear to God. So these smart bulbs allow you to set every possible mood. They have, wait for it, everyone sit down, pull over, 16 million light colors to choose from. I thought that was fake. It sounds fake. It's not. It's like instant decor, changeable at the touch of a button. And you just say, hey, Alexa, can you help me out here? And she does it. You can also set lighting routines to gently wake you up in the morning, help you wind down at night, or completely turn off at a certain time, you guys. There's even a preset holiday option so you can make the room merry and bright automatically. I knew you were going to love that. I know. (laughs) And I'm right there with you. You guys right now get $10 off a two-pack of singlet smart color changing light bulbs only at amazon.com slash TCO. This offer is available for a limited time, so now's the time to get your home set up with the smart lighting. That's $10 off a singlet bulb two-pack at amazon.com slash TCO. One more time, because I want you to feel festive. Amazon.com slash TCO. Get that instant decor. If you're gay with no taste like me, you know you need it. Hey, Alexa, give me instant taste. Thanks. And so we meet this Lieutenant Dale guy. And again, all these cops today, like, really, really, like, you can't hear this story and not immediately get emotionally invested. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so Lieutenant Dale is saying, like, not only did he make this, like, graphic confession, he fucking testified at his own trial. Mm -hmm. And, like, he wasn't even contesting it. He just wanted to give another graphic telling of what he fucking did. Yeah, that's like Ted Bundy style, where he was just, like, getting off on it and just, like, he just wanted to talk about it and say it out loud. And they point out, like, this is the definition of a narcissist, you know? And again, this guy shouldn't have been out. Like, he should have been in jail at the time. It's insane. Right. So, Lester Eubanks is sentenced to death, right? And Myrtle is like, I gotta tell you, we were 
thrilled. Like, she's just saying, like, you're as happy as you can be in that situation. Like, they wish they didn't have to be in the situation, but yeah. to them, justice was being served because he was being sentenced to death and they felt okay about that. And it's almost as though this moment was scripted. You know it wasn't, but uh-huh. it was just done so well. Yep. She goes, everybody was happy. It was wrapped up in a bow. It was wrapped up in a bow for a while. while. Oh, that beat was like perfect. But it was just like, it's just exactly what she was feeling. It's like, you can't script a moment like that, but it just felt like, oh God. Yeah, and so we learn about the Ohio State Penitentiary, which is where he's sent. It's located in downtown Columbus. And now, okay, you guys, this is like a callback to the Danamore Prison Break episode. (laughs) Yes. Because we meet a guy named Bill. His name is in air quotes. He doesn't want us to know his identity. And he was a former death row inmate, but now he's out and he's here for an interview? So he wants his name in quotes, but his voice is a disguise. He's right in the big bright light. So we see his face and his voice. And it says former death row inmate. And he really wants us to know, look, I wasn't afraid of Lester, okay? I just didn't like him. I knew Lester Eubanks. I didn't go around him. I wasn't afraid of him. It's just I didn't like him. Let me ask you something. Bill, what is your story? <laughs> because here's the thing. If you were on death, like if Damian Eccles was in this, right? Yes. It would be like yes. wrongfully imprisoned totally. innocent man. Totally. Right. Who was on death row for the reasons that we can't get into right now. There are 10 documentaries about it. But <laughs> Bill just says former death row inmate. And then we don't know why or how or no. what. We know nothing. Like, I don't understand documentarian filmmakers. This is a really well-made episode. The one fatal flaw of this episode is that we're supposed to listen to Bill? The guy that was on death row and like, tell me he was exonerated. Tell me he was wrongfully convicted. What is he doing here? And the thing is, Bill gives us like nothing of note. Bill doesn't come back. He doesn't give us anything that no one else can give us. So if Bill is going to be here, I need to know Bill's entire story. (laughs) I mean, you guys, he's a murderer. No one is safe. What? Like the crew? This guy can't killed people. Get out of there. Wait, but again, I ask, like, Bill doesn't add to the story at all. Why are you here? No. I know. Anyway, Lester had an attitude. He didn't like anyone. He didn't like anything. He was a loner. He was painting and writing. And then I'm like, I'm sorry, he was painting on death row? Okay, here's the thing. So handsome U.S. Marshal Dave is very unhappy about the fact that Lester was given paints and was allowed to paint. And you and I talk about this a lot. Like, we want prison reform, right? Sure. We want, like, people in prison treated like human beings. And, like, handsome U.S. Marshal Dave is saying that, like... Eubanks was allowed to have um, paintbrushes and canvases. That was not unusual for any prisoner on death row in the 60s and 70s to be able to utilize whatever skills they had. He was given paints and canvases, and, like, that's what death row was like in the 60s and the 70s. Like, people were allowed to, like, he says... They were able to eat their time doing something constructive. I don't hate it. And I don't know anything about human psychology. I don't know anything about this. But, like, if it keeps the inmates from fighting and killing each other, they have an outlet for their rage or their sickness or whatever, and they can do this sort of thing, I'm okay with it. Dave hates it. I understand what you're saying, but I think you have to be selective here. I completely agree with, like, the way the prison system is now. It just makes people more aggressive. Yes. It just makes people turn around and walk right back in almost the minute they get out. I completely understand that. But here's where there's a problem. Because by 1972, the death penalty was abolished, right? Yes. Fine. Sister Myrtle is angry and confused about this. Completely valid. Completely valid. And she's like, look, I had to move on. We were happy about the death penalty. That felt like real justice 
justice, something tangible that they can hold on to. And she says, look. I was angry and shocked and um, confused. But if you can't do anything about some things, you have to let it go. Um, That's what we did. We went on with our lives knowing that he was in prison. So after they get rid of the death penalty, Lester was released into gen pop, whatever. But the point is, Lester Eubanks, now he like turns the switch on where he is like a sharp dresser and a smooth talker. Yeah. He totally won the guards over. And that is why we're here in this episode. I have to say, like we were saying this in the Denimore prison break episode. You guys have to do better hiring. You should not be hiring guards that in any way can be won over. Now, I'm not saying guards should be monsters. Totally. And treat the inmates like animals. But to to be won over by a child murderer and sexual predator, do better hiring prisons. This is crazy. Right. And this is where it gets like, oh, I hate it, but I love it. Because there was this honor program, yeah. which truly sounds like a good program. It's like about preparing prisoners for life on the outside. At the time, there was a national reform kind of movement to help them prepare for life on the outside. Eubanks became eligible for this honor or trustee program that allowed him under certain circumstances to uh, venture outside the prison. But the thing is, Lester Eubanks was never going to see life on the outside. Right. He was a sexual predator and he was a murderer. So like within this program, Lester was allowed to venture outside of the prison. Like sometimes they could drive prisoners to other prisons or they were allowed to run errands with a guard. Sometimes this is okay, depending on the crime. Lester Eubanks is a sexual predator and a murderer. The guy who commits the tax fraud, let him do that. Let him run the prisoners. Sure. The guy who, like, is in for any number of white-collar offenses, let them run the errands. You guys, we're talking about letting a murderer run errands. As much prison reform as I want, I don't want that much, girl. I don't want that much. Because the thing is, like, research shows that a sexual predator is always a sexual predator. Yes. In this sense, right? So exactly what you're saying. Like, the idea was that they were rewarding prisoners for good behavior. That makes sense if you robbed a bank, maybe. (laughs) If you stole a car. Yeah. If if you were a young... Young 18, 19 year old kid, you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. You made a bad decision that one time, absolutely be in this program. Yes. Lester Eubanks should never have been a candidate for this, ever, ever, ever. And like, remember what I was saying earlier about like how this guy just gets this spate of good luck that follows him through his life? This is just another example of like, he was able to smooth talk his way into the honor program. He killed a little girl. It's unforgivable. And he was like, he's going to art shows. Like, he's going to actual, yeah. like, there are art shows with his art outside of the prison where he's like posing with people who are like, I met the artist. And they don't know that like the guy posing with their kid could sexually assault and murder their child because that's what this guy does. Yeah. And one of our officers says he was a serial sex offender. He's probably one of the last people you'd want to let in that program because of their recidivism rate. That was a real bad idea. You know, in hindsight, putting him in that honor program was a real bad idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. And that's what I'm saying. Like, these honor programs should exist. You know what I mean? A hundred percent, but not to the rapists and murder. I'm sorry. And also, but then don't, like, it's all just so complicated. <laughs> Everything is the worst. So whatever. Let's. It's eight years after Mary Ellen's murder. And so Lester Eubanks and four other prisoners, I don't know what they did. Again, not a lot of information. Was Bill one of them? Yeah, air quotes Bill, air quotes Bill. I don't know. Here's the thing, Patrick. I can't tell you because they don't tell us. I have no idea. Lester, it's December 7th, 1973. As part of this 
furlough program for prisoners along with uh, Lester Eubanks were permitted to go on a Christmas shopping trip. They're in regular clothes. They're not in like the Hamburglar outfit. <laughs> they have money. And like the point is they don't look like prisoners when they're on this shopping trip. That's the thing. And they're allowed to wander away from the guards. The guard says to this child murderer and sexual predator, meet back here by two, girl. Stop at Orange Julius. Get yourself a pretzel. Hey, have fun. You have enough money? Don't spend it all in one place. Good luck to you. <laughs> See you back here. Just report back at 2 p.m. Three hours, by the way. It's not like it was 1.30. It was, they had three hours on their own. And they took the guys from prison and trusted that they'd be okay on the honor system. And you know what the other four were, it seems. <laughs> That's the thing. So it's like, okay, so the other three or four men who were in this, like, probably earned. Yeah. I don't know what they did. I don't know what I'm saying. I, I'm sure if you could figure it out, if I'm talking positively about a sex offender, then I don't know that because Unsolved Mysteries didn't tell me. But everyone else came back to the meeting place early. At, it was they were supposed to be here at 2 o'clock. At 1.57, they were like, shit, I don't want to be late. And I gotta, I wanna go out in March again. I wanna, you know, go for spring cleaning or whatever. But the point is, Lester Eubanks doesn't show up at two o'clock. It was a period of two to three hours later where they were gonna meet at a particular place. And when that time uh, came, uh, Lester Eubanks uh, did not report back to the agreed meeting place. He had a three hour head start. He just walked away. He didn't go Christmas shopping. He just left. And like, you would think too that, like, I'm assuming, and again, I could be wrong, I'm assuming that Lester the only child murderer in the group. Maybe the guard just stays with him. Maybe you let the other ones wander, but like the guard sticks with... The bottom line is this this shopping outing was a very bad idea. God! Like... (laughs) Girl, Cameron Hughes winds his back. People in the Facebook group are going insane over this. I'm sick and tired of overpaying for wine just for the sake of it because the wineries tell me to. Cameron Hughes is sick of it too and they're like, absolutely not, that's over. So Cameron Hughes Wine has this amazing, unique business model, you guys. They source top-rated wines directly from the best wineries around the world and then they send it to you and you don't necessarily know like the name of the wine or the producer of the wine. You get a VIN number, but you know because it's Cameron Hughes, you are drinking top quality wine at a fraction of the price. Right. So with Cameron Hughes, it's all about the lot numbers. Yes. Instead of like the fancy names, you get the lot numbers. And so that's why the prices are what they are. And it's $16 a bottle, you guys. So we got this Russian River Valley Pinot Noir. It was smooth. It was savory. I love Pinot Noir. I was really impressed, Cameron Hughes. Tis the season for me to drink red wine because it's nice and cold. Totally. Lot 735, Santa Barbara Cabernet. I'm telling (laughs) you. It's like this top winemaker. They won a ton of gold medals. All these top scores, blah, blah, blah. I'm paying 16 bucks for it. So you guys, we're obsessed with Cameron Hughes Wine. You gotta get in on this. Go to chwine.com today to get 20% off the already wonderful prices and free shipping when you buy three or more bottles. It's like they're giving it away. (laughs) It's true. All you have to do is enter code TCO at checkout. So that's chwine.com with code TCO for 20% off three bottles or more plus free shipping. You guys, it is fantastic world-class wine delivered right to your door in the safety of your own home. I haven't been this excited about a new sponsor in a while. Hey. (laughs) Cheers, girl. Cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers to you and only you. (laughs) 
girl, Feels is back. So Feels is premium CBD oil, right? I know you tried it. It's great for anybody who suffers from stress or anxiety, has chronic pain, has trouble sleeping at least once a week. Look, if that's you, you are not alone. That is me too. And you did the Feels. Tell me everything. It's CBD oil, right? So you just have a few drops of Feels under your tongue. And within a couple of minutes, you really do feel the difference. And the thing about CBD is that you have to find the right dose for you. Like everyone's dose is different. Like mine is mine and yours will be yours. You can experiment over the course of a week or so. You might need to take more or less to find the effects that you're after. But I have to tell you, like, I was very new to CBD. Yeah. And it really made me feel just nice. And the thing is, like, there's no high, there's no hangover, there's no addiction to it. It just really helps with the stress or the pain or the sleeplessness or anything else you're dealing with. That's a point I really want to drive home. This is not like drugs. There's no THC in this. No. No addiction. Waking up relaxed with no hangover. I haven't done that since I was, like, in my early teens. (laughs) Yeah, and being able to fall asleep in a nice, like, non-stressful way. I will try anything that helps with that and feels totally helps. And I do also want to stress, like, I love that it's all personal. Totally. You know, a couple drops here and there. Oh, I need more. I need less. And if you take too much, like, there's no downside to it. It's just you figure it out. It's all about what you want and what you need. It's such a great option, you guys. Feels has us feeling our best every day, and it can help you, too. You can become a member today by going to feels.com slash TCO, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash TCO to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash TCO. You guys, go heal that chronic pain or sleeplessness. Just go do it. It'll make you feel better. (laughs) I'm the 800th person to say that at least, right? (laughs) So U.S. Marshal Dave is saying that like... He avoided the electric chair. He avoided a lifetime in a prison cell. Lester Eubanks was allowed to walk away. If you guys are keeping score, Lester avoided the electric chair. He avoided life in prison. He was allowed to walk away. He's a child murderer. Think about it. That little girl died on the sidewalk and this guy got to go Christmas shopping and then hightail it out of town. And Captain John is like, I'm sorry, can you walk me through this real quick? Because I don't understand. Like, what were you trying to accomplish here? I know. What genius let the child murderer and sex offender go on a shopping spree? Like, Captain John is like, I can't believe I could have gotten any other case. I know. I could have gotten any other thing. It's like, the system fails people in so many ways all the time. I know. And the system failed Mary Ellen here so spectacularly. And then they have to call Mary Ellen's mother. We hear that from Myrtle. And I just was like, they have to call this woman and tell her. She said Sheriff called her and told her that he had escaped. She was real upset. The murderer of her child has escaped and is on the run. And I just have, can you fucking imagine? Some poor guy, it was his first day, some poor bastard had to make a phone call because everyone was like, I'm not fucking doing it. I've been here a week. I have seniority over you. (laughs) No one wanted to make that phone call. No, and Handsome Dave is saying like, no one really knows how he escaped from the immediate area, Great Southern Shopping Center. But uh, I don't think he could have done that if this was a spur of the moment decision by him. I think there had to have been planning. I think he had to have made some kind of arrangements in advance. This escape was definitely pre-planned. He's like, if you go back and look at the visitation logs over the years that Lester was in jail before the prison break, he was having visitors on a consistent basis, but it was like once a month they would come to see him. And in the weeks and months leading up to the escape, they were coming every week. So the family is fucking in on it. His dirtbag fucking family was totally in on this. And like they planned it and they helped him escape. And they can just tell this from the visitor logs. Right. 
And so the local sheriff puts out a local warrant and the FBI puts out a federal warrant. And we're told the day this guy goes missing, there are warrants out for his arrest locally and federally. If this guy is pulled over or stopped anywhere and he's using his name or his ID, which he would probably have to be using, he's going to get picked up. Right. So now it was 1973 when Eubanks escaped, right? Now we're doing a time jump to 1993. And Captain John is like, I'm Captain John now. Like now he's a captain. Yeah. And he's like, hey, look, I, I... You nailed it with the first explanation. Right. Okay. I felt very like, wait, what the hell am I saying? And he's like, look. You know, we haven't heard a lot about uh, Eubanks. Maybe he's been apprehended and he didn't notify anybody, which might be a little crazy, but uh, he checked it in the computer. I would expect it to see wanted on unlawful flight, felony escape from the penitentiary for the state of Ohio. I discovered there were no warrants to be found. So he gives it a goog in the police computer. He like he gives it a police goog. A totally. police goog. <laughs> and he's completely expecting to see like what he always saw. Because he would like give him a goog periodically in the police computer. And he was always expecting like Lester Eubanks wanted for running away during the Christmas shopping trip. Can you believe I was able to type those words? Is probably <laughs> what it said. But there were no warrants to be found. Like the warrant was removed. Like what he was expecting to see wasn't there. And this is super alarming. And so it's been 20 fucking years. This guy's been on the run. Everyone thought there were warrants out or maybe there had been and they got rescinded or somebody didn't follow up. We get this one guy. I don't think we see this guy before or after, but he's the one that looks the most official, like he works for the CIA or whatever. And he goes, It was just uh, a lack of either required follow-up or a clerical kind of error that is the only explanation I have or that I can come up with. Because what that means is that if Lester Eubanks is pulled over or his name is run through a system, nothing will come up. Like that's the opposite of what's supposed to be happening. Exactly. So who removed the warrant? How did that happen? Captain John is furious and I'm like, girl, same. And I'm like, how was there a clerical error for 20 years? And again, just another tick on that spate of good luck that this guy has had. Can you fucking imagine? Like, who did this? I know. So Captain John is like, all right, that's it. I'm (laughs) over it. He's like, we got to get this guy. We got to get his face all over TV so we can get the son of a bitch. So... You guys, it's 1994. How else do you do this? You get him on America's Most Wanted. And we see it and we see John Walsh. Like, I can only picture that guy today, like the perfect Anderson Cooper, salt and pepper, like hot old guy. This guy in 1994, he just looks so 1994. And it goes out. 14-year-old Mary Ellen was exceptionally bright and responsible. But what happened? So it aired in September 1994. Within like a minute, a lady calls in. That night, she calls that like it airs, like she's watching it in real time. And she's like, get me the phone. I got to call them this minute. What's the number? 1-800-I-KNOW-THAT-GUY? Whatever the phone number was. Totally. And she's like, I used to run around with that guy in LA in the 70s. It's 1994, you guys. Right. So according to this woman who called, again, immediately, which I think like to me, that's the goal of America's Most Wanted, but I wonder how many times it happened. The goal is that someone is watching it because in 1994, no one's texting. No one's like posting it online. So that's the ideal where it's like you see this person, you grab the phone immediately. 
immediately and say, I know him. And also, like, the number of people who watched these shows in the 90s was so much more than it is now because it's like they were on mainstream networks. There was only eight channels. You know what I mean? It was like ABC, NBC, CBS, and like the Disney Channel and HBO. So everyone is watching this shit. And when they're watching it, girl, they're watching it. They're not also scrolling on their phone. Totally. Like, they're watching yes, it. Yes, yes, <laughs> so, yes. Like, it was a very effective thing back then, you would think. And it worked. Like, it's so annoying. Oh, yeah. It's more than, it's so frustrating that so many things were like, oh, so we're going to get him now, right? And it just right. never happens. Right. Because she calls and she's like, here's the thing. All right, so. I know him. And I used to run around with him in Los Angeles back in the 70s. And according to her, Eubanks ended up uh, living with Kay Banks, his cousin's widow. Lester Eubanks was living with Kay Banks, which we run into this a lot on this podcast where everyone has the same name. So this woman, Kay Banks, was Lester Eubanks' cousin's widow. And she lives in Los Angeles. And so the cops go and, like, question her. And she thinks, like, I mean, he was living with her in the fucking 70s, you guys, like the early 80s. This is 1994. She thinks she's in big trouble, so she is super cooperative. Yeah. And we learn that, like, she had been married to Derek. Daryl Banks, who was Eubanks' cousin. And apparently this guy, Daryl Banks, was kind of like a well-known singer in Detroit in the 60s. I thought that was an interesting tidbit. I know, I did too. And then he was shot and killed for some reason. Again, we know like very little about every single other person in this episode. I mean, this episode was only 37 minutes long. We could have done another 10 minutes on Solve Mysteries. I know, I would take a little more info. God. But this woman, Kay, when her husband, Daryl, is killed, Lester is in prison. And Kay and Lester become pen pals. So when he escapes from prison, he hightails it to LA to like crash on her couch. He also had a photo of her in his jail cell. And you can see it. And like where he's holding up one of those paintings of Angela Davis. I didn't like it. You see it in the background. I know, I know, I know. It's so gross. I don't like that at all. But Kay tells the cops that when he escaped from prison, he like went to Michigan and he like wanted to hide out in Michigan for a while to see if he was being chased and like to what extent he was being chased. And I don't know how long it took him to realize that like no one was really fucking looking for him. It actually took about three weeks. Right. (laughs) Because In December of 1973, three weeks after his escape, Lester Eubanks tells Kay, his cousin's widow, the story. Someone put him on a bus because he didn't have any money and paid for a trip to California. Lester told Kay when he gets to California, the bus was pulled over by law enforcement and he's sitting there thinking, this is it, it's over. He thought he was going to go back to jail. Well, these guys were looking for illegal fruit being brought across state lines. Lester looked at him and smiled. And as they walked off the bus, he thought to himself, hey, this is it. I'm free. I got away. So he's like, oh my God, I have a warrant. I'm like a rapist and a murderer. I'm a terrible person. They are pulling this bus over for me. Yeah, yeah. No, the cops were looking for illegal fruit being taken across state lines. (laughs) Fucking priorities. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) So Lester dodges this bullet because they're looking for like illegal oranges or whatever. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, I'm free now. Like he just assumes like if they didn't get me now, now they're not getting me. Yeah. So he goes to live with this woman, Kay. And oh my God, this makes me crazy on a million levels. He decides he needs to get some ID. So he gets a hunting license and he gets a hunting license because it doesn't require a fingerprint. And I just wrote, <laughs> think about that, you guys. The uh, thing that gets you a fucking firearm is the only form of ID that doesn't require a fingerprint. Are you kidding me? 
I was like, wait a second. That can't be right. I know. Right? So I rewound it a bunch. And I'm like, I understand it's a very sustainable way to live. I totally get it. Like, I'm not an idiot. However, the fact that a hunting license means that you get a gun or a weapon of some kind. So like, if you're a farmer, like, whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the fact that the way uh, you get a hunting license and then you get something that kills a living thing. So you get the fake ID and the gun. Great. One stop shopping. I'm just, I have this tissue that is now just completely scrubbed. I've been using it as like a stress ball. I'm just, I'm so, I just can't believe it. Okay. Girl, we have a new sponsor this week. It's Skylight Frames. You guys, the holidays are just around the corner. Are you looking for a way to stay connected with the ones you love during the holidays? Uh, I know Mike is particularly interested in this one. Let me tell you, super hot husband Mike is obsessed with this. So Skylight Frames, it's a picture frame, but it's digital. Right. So what you do is you plug it in. He's obsessed with this. Oh, my God. (laughs) You can email photos to the Skylight Frame. And within 30 seconds, like, there's the picture. And you can either freeze it on a photo. It could be like a slideshow. So Mike, of course, just filled it with pictures of our dogs, like dogs through the years, like all of the pups we've ever had. <laughs> and then he's like, you should try it. And then I started emailing it. And he's like, what are you doing on your phone? I'm like, uh, emailing our skylight frame. But like multiple people can do it. It's not just you and Mike, like your friends and family can do it too. Right. Like if I give you our email address, suddenly it'll be like, hey, you have a new photo. And it's like a selfie of you. Right. Which we would welcome, by the way. You guys, it has a black frame and a white mat. So it looks like a real photo frame and adds a beautiful touch to your home. It's beautiful, right? Yeah. Because we just moved and we're trying to make the new place like as homey as possible. So it's nice to look up and it's also nice to have a surprise when we have it on the slideshow. Also, you guys, there's a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't love your skylight, which you will, they will offer you a full refund. All right. Now, as a special offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter the code OBSESSED. That's right, you guys. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter the code OBSESSED. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com with the promo code OBSESSED. And then get Jillian's email thing so you can send your pictures to her frame. Or <laughs> enjoy it in the privacy of your own home. <laughs> But, like, this is where these fucking cops are, like, giving him all the compliments. You know, they're like, you know what? He was actually a really smart guy. Kay told us uh, about Lester's love of painting. I've seen pictures of some of the work that he did while in prison, and he was talented. And he was also a really talented painter. And I'm like, can we stop paying compliments? Stop calling him handsome. He fucking murdered a child. Yeah, I don't think anyone called him handsome, though, to be fair. What did the guy say at the beginning? He's a sharp-looking man. He is well-liked. Easily can fit into anywhere. Oh, they called him, like, a sharp-dressed man or whatever, but... Yeah, he was, like, a sharp-looking guy. He was a butterface. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) so... Kay is spilling the tea because she's like, I was harboring a fugitive. Like, I should talk. She doesn't want to be in trouble. And Kay says, I got to tell you, I hated living with this guy. I hated him because he was an asshole. Can you imagine him as a roommate? Can you imagine what it would be like to come home to that guy every night? The guy who would, like, wave the nunchucks around in the neighborhood just to intimidate people. And also the rapist and the murderer. Like, yeah, he was putting the empty carton of milk in the refrigerator, too, I'm sure. (laughs) I got to tell you, hearing you say it with the end, the nunchucks, it really does sound like the right way to say it. (laughs) I was just going to blow through it. Like, that's just how you say it. Can you guys tell that I wasn't the kid that did the karate when we were growing up? I was more the drama club kid. I agree. (laughs) So Kay's like... Kay Banks said that Eubanks, he was a real bully. 
And she was intimidated by him. I hated living with this guy. He was a bully. I was super intimidated by him. I just, I really wanted a way to like get him out of my life. And so- She comes up with a pretty good idea. It works. It totally works. She's like, hey, Lester or Victor, whatever. So super just, this means nothing, I bet. But I just got a super weird phone call. The FBI is, and then before she could even say like, is asking about you, there's a Lester Eubanks shaped hole in the door. And she just has to say, like, there's some law enforcement sitting around and he is out. Yeah, and she gives the cops in 94, like, his last known place of employment was a mattress company. And they go down there and, like, the owner's like, yeah, that guy totally worked here until about, like, 85 or 86. Which is actually pretty helpful because they're like, okay, so that's 10 years. So it was 20 years ago. So now we did, like, a 10-year time jump. Okay, so now it's, like, 1994-ish. Yeah. We last know where he is in 85. It's not 75. I mean, there's a step in the right direction. Totally. And, like, we're also at the kind of at the end of the line. Like, there's not really anything else we can do right now. Right. And so we meet this guy, Michael Vincent. He's a lieutenant in Mansfield, Ohio. He's on the highway patrol. And he's a- I had never really heard about the murder until 2003 when I was tasked with looking into some things. A uh, superior officer down in Columbus was looking at some older escape cases. So I was contacted, basically told, hey, there's here's the case. Uh, look into this and see what you can find. He was asked to look into, like, prison escapes, and he gets given Lester's case. And this is in 2003, so we're time jumping all over the place here. That's 30 years since this guy went to jail, right? And he was, like, erased from the police googs? Yeah. Like, they're, just, <laughs> they're like, wait. So, I honestly don't understand this. This guy, the cop, says, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go talk to Lester Eubanks' dad, who still lives in town. Like, they were a really tight family. I'm gonna go talk to this guy. Why has no Nobody had this idea in the 30 fucking years this guy's been missing. I know. His father was the only known close relative that was living in this area at the time. So we went out there to just to see if he would talk to us. He says, well, I'll talk to you about anything you want, but I'm not going to talk to you about Lester. So here's the thing. This guy's been missing for 30 years. The dad still lives in town. You're not bugging the phone. You're not sitting on the house 24 hours a day. Like, this is a little bit where it comes back to, like, all these white cops today who really do care about this, and I believe them, we have to also deal with the fact that, like, this was a dead black girl, and I don't know how much people cared about that in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Yeah, I I think there was a lot of red tape, a lot of brick walls, a lot of, like, whatever. Like, there's nothing, you know. Not a huge high priority until Unsolved Mysteries call. 100%. And so the thing is, like, they meet up with Moe's, the dad, who's like, we can talk about absolutely anything except the one thing you showed up to my house to discuss. Because I'm like, Moe's, what do you think they're there to talk about? The weather? (laughs) They're there to talk about your rapist murderer son. Like, what are you saying? So Moe says something, which I think is like, to your point about how people didn't really care all that much about a little black girl. Yeah. Because he's like... And he says, well, you know, he says there's nothing anyone can do to bring that that girl back. He's basically saying, like, why do you guys even want to find him? Like, finding him isn't going to bring this girl back. And that made me, like, I think I remember pounding my fists on my desk. Right. How dare you? Right. How dare you as the dad of the escaped murderer, like, who's been living the life for the last 30 years, how dare you even fucking bring that girl's name up? Right. It makes me crazy. It's insane. And so Michael says to him, like, um, that's a choice. Yeah. Uh, question do you think that justice was done here like your son murdered this girl right yeah. like there's no denying that he he admits it he admitted it yeah in like great detail which is like super garbage and disturbing oh, uh but so and then he escaped so like do you think there's any justice here like he admits that he committed this crime and now he's not serving the time for that like wh- yeah. what are your thoughts on that yeah and Moses, like you know even though he just said i'll talk about anything but this he just continues he's like right. you know <laughs> 
<laughs> people change. Yeah. They go on. They start new lives. I pray for my son every day. And that's all I'm going to say about it. And so Mike and his partner look at each other. We say, well, he knows exactly where Lester's at. And they're like, this bitch knows exactly where Lester is. Yeah. Exactly. And remember how early in the episode we realized that, like, this city should be renamed Informant City? Uh-huh. Informantville. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Informantville, USA. Yeah. They have a million informants in this town and they call one of them up and this informant had like been at Lester's house a few months earlier just sitting in the living room talking with him when he excused himself to take a phone call. The phone rang and Moe's excused himself and actually went into another room and when he came back, he had told the lady that he was on the phone with his son in Alabama who was taking a break from painting a house. I have to say, this is like a big breakthrough, but this came out of fucking nowhere. Right. Because it's like suddenly out of nowhere, the Mansfield cops like hear from this informant and they were just like, oh, so I was actually there when Mo's got a phone call from Lester. And I'm like, wait. And also, what did Bill do to be on death row? Like, where's the information here? Like, it's great that like we get another step forward, even though nothing happens. It's called Unsolved Mysteries. But like- Like, who is this informant? Who called who? Like, what's going on? And the cops also say that they had tracked down where all of the other Eubank siblings were. None of them were in Alabama. So that had to be fucking Lester. And so finally, after 30 fucking years, they're looking at the dad and they get subpoenas for the phone records. I ended up getting a a, uh, a subpoena to get his Moses phone records. And uh, lo and behold, uh, there were several calls during that time frame that were coming and going to a Center for Troubled Youth. And they realize that there's lots of calls coming and going Mm. to this Center for Troubled Youth in Alabama. Which, I'm sorry, not to bring this totally down, you know why Lester's working at a Center for Troubled Youth, right? Oh my God, that didn't even occur because he's a fucking sexual predator of children. Because they're easy targets. It's, I mean, this this guy is like, and his dad is fucking garbage for defending him and hiding him and making excuses and saying the sentence, nothing's going to bring her back. Like, fuck off. Yeah. Oh God, I hate these people. Yeah. And so, so they say, like, they call the place and there was a black man that fit Lester's description working there. Didn't have a driver's license. Remember, this guy's only ID is his hunting permit because it didn't require a fingerprint. He's got a social security number that came back as false. And the only trouble is that this guy stopped working there like three months earlier. Right. And the cops kind of do that thing where they sort of pat themselves on the back for getting really close, even though they didn't get the guy. And it's like, it's uh, it's so frustrating because, again, they inherited this piece of shit totally. case. And when- when I say piece of shit case, I mean how it was handled before. Like, he never should have been out to kill Mary Ellen to begin with. But now that we're here, like, let's try to do the right thing. And so... Yeah, and they're talking about, like, Mose Eubanks, the dad. And they're like, he's, quote, a man of the cloth. Fuck that. Fuck that. Like, a man of the cloth hiding his fugitive murder son. Mose, you are a bad person. You're a bad person. You're not a man of the cloth if you say that there's nothing that can bring Mary Ellen back. And also, what about the other people he assaulted and hurt before he got to Mary Ellen? Like, Mose, you're a piece of shit. And has continued to do on the run in hiding all these years later. Like, who even knows? Yeah, right. And, like, we're back with Myrtle and, like, Myrtle is Mary Ellen's sister. She's the one that's been with us from the beginning. She seems so reasonable and put together. Like, she has every right to not be like this. I know. And she's just saying, you know, the thing is... He never asked for forgiveness. He could have asked in court and he could have had his dad ask my mom. Nobody has even said anything to my family. 
from that family. Yeah, like the man of the cloth, yeah. Moe's, didn't reach out to the family of the girl that his son murdered and like was excited to tell how he murdered her. Yeah. Like if you're a real man of the cloth, there would be some kind of communication, but Moe's just wants to protect his son. They're both pieces of shit. And again, it's not like Lester denied the murder. It'd be one thing if he's like, I didn't do it. I'm just a black man and you're railroading me. And if that like that happens all the time, we'd be on your side. Totally. You fucking admitted to doing it. Right. And your cousin hates you. Your cousin-in-law like yeah. hates you too. Like you're just a piece of shit. It's what I say about Daisy all the time. If Daisy murdered somebody, I'd be the first one to fucking turn her in. Would I love her any less? Absolutely not. Mose, you can do both at the same time. You can be a man of the cloth and be a good man and ask for forgiveness and love your murdering piece of shit son. Instead, God. you're a piece of shit too. Great. Bye. Like, fuck off. Unsolved Mysteries, you got me in the mood today, girl. Same. I'm like really <laughs> like, I'm peppery. Is that a word so- to describe somebody? I feel like peppery. So we're back with handsome Dave, U.S. Marshal. And I honestly don't really know what the U.S. Marshals do. So he tells us. Marshal Service, we fight for those who can't fight for themselves. Mary Ellen Diener cannot fight for herself. Yeah. And so it ends with just like, Lester has friends and associates in all of these states and lists where the states are. And they're basically saying like, we need your help, everyone, because this guy's been on the run for decades and decades. Yeah. And handsome Dave U.S. Marshall is telling us that- In July of 2018, I started to push forward with uh, Lester Eubanks being put on the 15 most wanted. 45 years after the escape in July 2018, they finally get Lester on the 15 most wanted list. They say it's the uncatchables, the worst of the worst. And I'm just thinking, why? Like a high profile podcast came out about this a year and a half ago. I thought for sure they'd fucking find this guy. Why is it so hard to find this guy? And also like he's 78. Yeah. He's just like an old man at the diner now. Honestly, like yeah. it's just, ugh, I hate everything about this, but I don't <laughs> think that we're going to get this guy. And even if we get this guy, he lived 45 years without us having gotten him. I know. So he's I just know. like eating his fucking pie at the diner and living his life. And he gets to live his life. And Mary Ellen and all of his other fucking victims didn't. And that sucks. And I hate him. And I hate his father. <laughs> Are we done? Can we call it? <laughs> Episode what? It's called Death Row Fugitive. <laughs> She's in a real mood today, you guys. I don't know what happened. Like, I... <laughs> it's great. Um, you guys, we gotta get Jillian out of here. So let me just remind you real oh, quickly. No, I'm not diva about this. <laughs> I know. You guys, join us on the Patreon. Over 150 full bonus ad-free episodes to download and binge right now at the five dollar level, covering every series you've ever wanted us to cover, from HBO to Netflix to Oxygen to ID to everything. It's all there. Go check it out. Um, what else? Anything else we need to say to the people, girl? I mean, the thing about Unsolved Mysteries is that they're trying to solve these things, right? Totally. If you have any information, like, please speak up. I mean, we don't have like. I'm just, I'm just so, I'm like tripping over the fact that America's Most Wanted like was so helpful at a time. And I just, that's not how we live. Everyone's like, everyone will have like America's Most Wanted on in the background and they're scrolling Twitter. And it's like, no, pay attention. I will tell you, I did a little side goog. The U.S. Marshals increased the reward from $25,000 to $50,000. So if you fucking listen to me right now, listen to me right now. Everyone shut up. You guys shut up. Everyone shut up. If you know this son of a bitch and you don't turn him in, you're not allowed to listen anymore. No. If you do know him and you do turn him in, you get 50 grand. It's a win-win, you guys. Yeah, and they say he has this, like this huge scar wrapping around his right arm. And, you know, I, yeah. I will find a way. I don't know how to block a specific person from our podcast, but God damn it, I'll find a way. If you know this guy, <laughs> and if you know Moe's, even if, if you're like friendly with his dad, if you know someone who spoke to his dad one time, I don't like you. <laughs> All right. On that note, we 
you. Bye. Yeah, tra- <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I gotta tell you, girl, we watched Annie the other night for the first time in a really long time. That movie really holds up. I know you told me. We had a whole conversation about it. You and Miss Hannigan really do have a lot in common. I know she's garbage. You're not garbage, but I'm just saying I could see you being that kind of little girl. <laughs> <laughs> Little girls. Lucky me, lucky me. Look at what I'm dripping with. Peppery. Is that a so, word to describe somebody? I feel like peppery. Are we the opposite of being a herb? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Remember when I taught you what a herb was? Yeah. It's just, it's like a loser. I know. 